1: You have talents too. Put a stinking price tag on it. Put it out in the world and see what the world says.
2: I believe that the opposite of depression, it's not happiness. It's purpose. I believe that every single person has something unique to contribute to the world, and that's why I wanted to create a show called "Don't Keep Your Day Job." "Don't Keep Your Day Job" is about figuring out what it is that you were here to do in this world that only you can do to make the world more whole, more beautiful, and to stop selling yourself short and to stop sitting it out and to figure out how to take this thing you love, whether it's art or music or screenwriting or dance or baking, and how do you leave this thing that you love into a life that you get to contribute, that you get to do what you love full time, because it's not just about business, it's about contribution, it's about meaning, that is what we seek, that is what we truly want, and you absolutely are here to serve the world, and I want to help you figure out just how much value you have inside of you. And every single week, we're going to be talking to people who have something to add to help you get out of your own way, to help you be more successful, to help you be the truest expression of you. My name is Kathy Heller. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's dive in.
0: Thanks to KiwiCo for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. KiwiCo creates super cool hands-on projects for kids to make learning about STEAM fun. Designed by experts and tested by kids. Go to kiwico.com slash dreamjob to get your first month free on select crates. Hey guys, it's Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. So I wish I could say that I hope you guys had a great weekend, as I always say on Monday mornings, but... It was such a really hard weekend. Um, I live in LA, so we really have felt the sadness. Uh, There was lots and lots of stuff going on here, and um, it's just so unbelievably sad. There's so much pain. You can feel the pain that's in the world right now, and um, it's so heartbreaking. And I don't know, I wish I had the words. I wish I could fix it. You guys have gotten to know me by now. I'm like, you know, I'm one of those people that just sees the good and I tend to be really optimistic and positive and it's not a fake thing. It's just kind of who I am. When I was a little girl, my favorite color was yellow. And um, my sister and I picked out Care Bears and my favorite Care Bear was Cheer Bear and it's hard to feel cheerful right now. It just feels like the world is upside down, you know? I mean, between COVID and between all the unrest in the country with what's going on, with what happened in Minnesota, it's just unthinkable. It's just there's no words. There are no good words. But I do know that we can do better I know that as a people, we can come together as a, as a nation, as a world. I know that we can do better and we will. And the only thing that's positive that I see is that people are speaking and it's been going on the last several years, you know, like with the, you know, women stuff too. It's like women are speaking up like they never did before. And, there's a lot that's changing in general. Like people are speaking up when things are not right. And um, before this happened, I had posted a few days ago and I had written, I think the best thing we can do as women is stop trying to make everyone else around us comfortable. And by the way, I think that's true for every person. Like I'm such a recovering people pleaser that in so many ways I've spent my entire life taking the temperature of the room and just Wanting to make sure that everybody's okay at the at expense of myself. And um, I feel like what's happening now is that when someone is hurting, people are saying what they feel. And as messy as that is to speak up and to feel like people might, you know, not like it or, you know, there might be a lot of unrest in the end for us to share how we feel is ultimately the right thing for people to voice their feelings. In fact, you know, I've said before, but feelings have to be felt. It's kind of like if we push them down, if we suppress them, they don't go away. What winds up happening is we find coping mechanisms to deal with what we feel. We tune out, we distract. And And they slip out some way, you know, either we start getting pain in our physical body because there's so much tension or it comes out, you know, as road rage, or it comes out when we snap at somebody, we don't mean to, it's like, we got to feel our feelings. And so there's a lot to feel right now and it's hard to do a podcast. It's hard to do anything. I mean, in LA, the last 48 hours, there's just sirens and helicopters and, There's so many people in so much pain and there's so much going on and it just, it's overwhelming. You know, it's, it's a lot, but, um, I just want to acknowledge it. And at the same time, I still want to continue to do the podcast because I feel like in the midst of all the horrific things that are going on, we still need to focus on what we can do, what we can build, how we can show up as ourselves, how we can connect, how we can reach our hands out and help other people, help the economy, make things, say things, grow a business and grow more into who we're supposed to be ultimately. I mean, that's really what my show is about. It's not just pick a business. It's about find your work and know that you can make an imprint, you can make a difference, and that you can make a living doing stuff that lights you up. I'm certain of it. Why shouldn't you be able to? You're not asking for so much just to be able to feel like yourself, just to be able to love what you do. So anyway, today we have Jennifer Allwood on the show. And of course, I recorded this before all this stuff happened in Minnesota, before all this stuff happened with George Floyd. I think it was already COVID, but, um, please forgive the tone of the interview because we were in a good mood when we, uh, when we recorded it. But I think that you guys will love her story because she's a creative. She started out painting and she turned her creative hobby eventually into a really lucrative business. And she's gone on to write books and she's an entrepreneur. She's a business coach. She's a podcaster. She, she has all these great ways of helping you understand, like, how can you make a, a life and how can you create business right now online specifically, which I do think is really, really helpful because that is definitely what we have. That is the tool that we have right now. If we can't go out because of COVID, if we can't go out because it's not safe on the streets, we can connect and we can speak to people online and we absolutely need to understand how huge of an opportunity it is. And so I think that this episode will help you feel excited and, and positive about what is possible in that direction. Um, her book that came out in April is called Fear is Not the Boss of You, How to Get Out of Your Head and Live the Life You Were Made For. And it will help you get unstuck and past the overwhelm. And if you go listen to her podcast, The Jennifer Allwood Show, it's all about how creative entrepreneurs can build an online business using their natural born talents, how they can grow an audience to sell their knowledge and create products and make money and work less and overcome the mindset challenges that we all face in the journey. She's got such a fire inside of her and she has many juicy tactical pieces to share with you as well. So you might want to take some notes if you can. Without further ado, please welcome Jennifer Allwood. Jennifer, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Kathy, thanks for having me. I have a feeling that if we knew each other in real life, we would hang out.
0: Oh yeah. I'm here for every piece of it. You come from such a place of rooted goodness and you're so grounded Mm -hmm. and you help people make money. And the thing is not just to make money, but to make money with their calling, right? To like really serve. And it's so important. And I want to talk about your whole journey and then I want to sort of like, unpack all of the things. So tell us first a little about your journey that brings you to where you are now, and then I'm going to make sure that we get into all of your
1: wisdom. Awesome. So I grew up really in a sheltered home, not religious at all, but just um, very strict, didn't get to go out a lot, you know, went to college and I was like, holy smokes. There is more to life than um, Thousand Island salad dressing. Like there's all these people and there's all these adult beverages and there was, you know, stuff to do every night. So I blew my scholarship the first year, which was fine. And um, got not one, but two jobs after that. Got to Kansas City in my middle 20s, thought, you know what? I should really finish that degree. Like, I'm smart. So I went back to college as a 25-year-old and couldn't figure out what to do for a degree. My heart was really in, like, interior design. And this was about the time HGTV was really taking off. And television shows, like, trading spaces. It was, like, this crazy lady named Hildy. And she would like staple like flowers to walls and she would hot glue hay to like, you remember that? Yes, I that totally do. She
0: was adorable. She had like the best personality. I totally remember that.
1: And, but it inspired me. And I had purchased my first home as a 21 year old, which is random. Anyway, so I go back to college. How did you do that? And, well, I talk about, you know, I have a book called um, Fears Not the Boss of You. And I talk in the book about how I kind of feel like I've always been what I call an SRP, a super responsible person. I think a lot of super responsible people are forced to mature at a much earlier age than most people. And sometimes their joy level is low (laughs) and their responsibility level is high. And so I just remember being 21 and renting an apartment and thinking this is dumb. Like from a financial standpoint, this is dumb. I'm wasting money every month. And so I knew of like, a realtor in town. I called him and like, would you help me buy a house? He's like, actually, there's a thing going on right now. So um, there's like some special loans. And he's like, yeah, you've had, you've been in the same job for the last two years. Like you actually qualify to buy a house. So I did. And so I had like this champagne taste though on a Budweiser budget. And I wanted to live in a beautiful home. I grew up in a nice home, but I was completely hundred percent on my own financially. And so I had to kind of figure out how to like do everything on my own, how to do landscaping, how to like redo the kitchen cabinet. But I just, I love making a house beautiful. And so middle twenties, I'm like, okay, I've had my house for several years. What do I want to do for the rest of my life? And that, even in your middle twenties, that feels like a really big question. And I was trying to go back and forth between computers or interior design. And even though I wanted to do interior design, Everybody was starting to buy computers. I hated them, but I knew that I could make some money. And even then, I didn't feel guilty about knowing the kind of lifestyle that I wanted to have someday. I didn't want to struggle. I knew that. So I picked a degree in computers, graduated top of my class when I was 30. But two months before I graduated, I decided I wanted to start a painting company (laughs) in addition to getting a computer degree. I had gone through, I'm wondering if you have this where you're at, Kathy, they're called home shows. And they're like, you know, in a big building in the downtown arenas. And you go and you pick out like new gutters and you talk to people.
0: Oh my God, I've been to one in Pasadena. It is gorgeous.
1: So that's the kind of world that I was, you know, in at this point. I was walking through a home show and I found these people that owned a decorative painting company. So basically they taught you how to paint your cabinets, how to make your walls look like stone or make your walls look like marble, how to paint furniture. And I just remember my heart beating really fast and me feeling like I was just, There was all this eye candy in their space at the home show, which is not usually overly pretty. And I was like, people actually can like do this for a living. And they had a weekend school. So I thought, let me go to their weekend school. And that weekend school changed me because I went and I played with paint all weekend long, not like acrylics, but like stuff you slap on the wall. And I just, I was obsessed with it. So I came home and I told my then husband, we'd just gotten married. We were newlyweds. um, I wanted to start a painting company. And he was like, all then. Thank God he's so like supportive. And so I worked for a long time doing my computer job. I had my degree. And then at nights and weekends, I would paint for people. And I never thought about becoming an entrepreneur because super responsible people don't do that. Like you have your 401k, you know, you go in at nine and you leave at five, even if you finish your work at three. And I hated every minute of it, but I felt like, you know, that's kind of what you're expected to do. You do all that and then you die and retire eventually. And so I did that for a little while. Um, And then I got laid off from that computer job. And that was the catalyst for me. It was also a crisis moment, but I like to say that crisis will often catapult you into your calling. And so then I was like, okay, I'm laid off. And I boohooed for several days, thought, what am I going to do? How am I going to make any money? I'm like, well, I have been like playing around with this side business. What would happen if I literally pushed on the gas? What would happen if I literally like really tried? And so I went to the yellow pages and I looked up like every interior designer in Kansas city, which I'm an introvert. And so that was really outside of the box for me to like make cold phone calls to people and be like, Hey, I want to show you some painting samples or just showing up at people's doorstep. But literally I started getting so busy, like with the painting that within a year, I mean, we were landing all these huge houses in Kansas city. We were on the parade of homes. We were having magazines, write articles about us and it was fabulous. And then we got pregnant with our oldest son, Um, Noah. And that changed everything again. So we had had a miscarriage before we had Noah. And then we had Noah. And I knew that I never wanted to return back to like painting in people's houses. It was very lucrative. The business was very successful, but I wanted to stay home with my kiddo, but I didn't want to give up my business. So I was at another conundrum like, what do you do? And so I decided to start hiring other women to come paint for me. And so I stayed home and raised three kids, bing, 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 while a group of women painted out in the field for me every day. And um, that was fantastic too, until about five or six years ago when I was like, you know, it it was great until it wasn't. And basically, what Happened is I had realized, Kathy, that I'd gotten to a point where we had maxed out on the amount of money that we could make in that business. And I know that that sounds really shallow, but I also know that the more I make, the more I can give. The more I make, the more I can serve my community. The more I make, the more I can do for my family and and the people I love. And so I knew I wanted to make more money than what we were. We were doing okay, but we were not doing like fabulous. And I didn't want to have to worry when I went to target about what I put in my car. And I'm hundred percent. Okay. Saying that. So I had started my Facebook page and it was doing really well. And um I realized as an introvert I really like social media. So again I decided what would happen if I really pushed on the gas on my social media and I had, you know, 5,000 followers and then 20,000 and then 100,000. And then I had all these people who were asking me, okay, you're putting up these beautiful painting pictures of how you just did this furniture piece and how you just painted these cabinets like How would you do that? How can I do that? I live in Oklahoma or I live in Seattle or whatever. And so I just kept giving people all these free instructions until one day I had this light bulb moment of why am I giving away everything I know for free? Which, by the way, is the majority of the women I know give away everything they know for free. We really devalue knowledge in this country. And, um, and so I started charging people like $27 for a painting video that I filmed. And it was like on YouTube, and it was janky and horrible. And within 14 months, we made $100,000 on painting videos. And I was like, holy crap, this online thing is amazing. Like now what can I do? Well, at the same time, people kept seeing all these hundreds of thousands of followers I was getting and asking me how I did it. And so I decided, you know what, I'll teach you how to do that too. And so I kind of made a shift about four years ago from teaching people how to paint, which I no longer do, to teaching them how to get a lot of followers online. And then not only get a lot of followers, but how to monetize them because they're two totally different things. Kathy, you can have a hundred thousand followers and not be making a hundred thousand dollars. That's very easy to do. And so what I teach women how to do, 99% of my audience is women, is how do you get a lot of followers and how do you give them something that they want? And how do you make money so that you can Stay home with your family, if that's what you want to do, or pivot out of a brick and mortar, which by the way, now that we're, you know, knee deep in the middle of a quarantine and being at home is really important, but I'm so honored that I get to do every day what I get to do, which is just coach women on how they can stay home and build a business.
0: I love your story so much. It's just so cool. Okay. So the thing that you are doing now, everybody's mouths are watering because everybody wants to know how to do it. Sure. And I would love to unpack that a little bit. Yeah. Take us through that whole arc, what that looks like, getting the followers and then figuring out the offer and then monetizing it.
1: So, you know, and that looks different today, by the way, than what it did 10 years ago, because social media was different 10 years ago. Most people were using Facebook for just to show their cat pictures and what they had for dinner and, you know, the kids' birthday parties. They weren't really using it for business. And so, and if they were using for business, they weren't really using it very consistently. And so here's what I found. I would put stuff on Facebook every day, every day, every day. Like I I have not skipped in at least six or seven years. You will never go to my Facebook page and see a day without something because here's how Facebook works. Facebook is run, you know, by algorithms, which are looking for what people are really attracted to, and they're looking for consistency. So if you've got a business that you've been starting from home, which is, you know, cupcakes, making earrings, jewelry, writing, blogging, art, painting, watercolors, those are all the kind of women that I'm coaching. I tell them all the time, you have to show up every day because the algorithm is looking for consistency. If you go look at any major brand, Coca-Cola, Starbucks, um, Dove Soap, none of them miss an hour usually of a post. And so the way Facebook looks, it's like, is it consistent? Are you consistent? Are you consistent? You're not, you're probably then not a legit business. And then every time you do post, that's why you're getting crickets because Facebook has kind of deemed you as not a, a real business that people are interested in. So I, I, what I found is that when I was posting, I would post every day, but it wasn't always about what I was selling. And I I always tried to go like one ring outside of that. And what I also found is that people were super interested in things like my faith. They were super interested in things like my family and they loved being entertained. They loved humor. And, you know, right now, fast forward to 2020, what people need humor more than ever on social media because everything kind of feels heavy. And so I tried to be really intentional, Kathy, about watching what people responded to and giving them more of what they responded to and constantly trying to position things on my page so that I got the Me Too effect. And this is, by the way, before the hashtag Me Too was even like a thing. So it has nothing to do with that. Here's what I've been telling people for years when you post stuff on social media, you want to position it in a way that the woman who's on the other side reads it and goes, oh my gosh, Me Too. Mm -hmm. So if you, you know, say it in a way where she can relate to you because that's when she'll share it. And when she shares it, is when your platform then gets in front of an audience that you don't have access to and you're getting now access to it for free. And then other people are going to look into you. And so, Even though I was selling paint, I was also selling myself. And I was becoming a personal brand, even though I didn't realize it. And even though that's not what my intention was, I know a lot of people start out wanting to be a personal brand. And this is what I tell them. Actually, your following decides if you're a brand or not. They will catapult you into being a personal brand if they think that what you are putting out into the world is really relevant. So the more that was happening, the more I was like, hmm, okay, um, I'll keep putting some personal stuff out there. And then the cool thing that happened was Periscope. Periscope, for those of you who don't know, was like Facebook Live before Facebook Live was a thing. And what's really cool about my story is that, you know, I decided to shift into painting after going to the home show and seeing those people, meeting those people that had a painting school. Well, about six years ago, our local home show in Kansas City called me and they said, hey, um, Chip and Joanna Gaines are going to be speaking, the Fixer Upper people, and we would like you to speak also. And I was like, okay, what kind of a full circle moment is this? I get to go back to the building where my whole career shifted and I get to talk on stage where, you know, a few years ago I was watching people talk on stage. And not only that, I get to be on stage with America's Sweethearts, Chip and Joanna Gaines. And they literally had me as the Chip and Joe sandwich. So they had Chip and Joe and then me and then Chip and Joe again. It was the weirdest thing but I got to be alone with Chip and Joanna. And so they let me interview them on Periscope, which was amazing. Uh, and I was so nervous. I didn't have any notes. I literally wrote a bunch of crazy, you know, notes on my hands, Kathy, before I had Joanna alone in a room. And, and they're just as precious in real life as what you would hope that they would be off of watching their show. I love them. Um, everybody, loves I,
0: everybody loves them.
1: Everybody loves them. And you can still find the video we've got it on YouTube and stuff. It was amazing. And then shortly after that, Facebook live started rolling out. And what's funny is I am totally an introvert, I promise you I am, but I've always loved the camera. And I've always struggled with that on the inside because, and I know somebody somewhere is gonna relate to this, I have thought, okay, is it vanity? Why do I like being in front of a television camera? Why do I like having people take pictures of me? Like what's wrong with me that most of the world hates, you know, that kind of attention and I like it. And that's weird. But then I'm like, Oh, it's so cool. How God like strings everything together to just put you into exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Cause I would turn on the Facebook live and I would feel like I would light up Kathy. It's the weirdest thing. It's like, It's not like an alter ego or different personality, but there's something about being on a camera and seeing people talk to you on the other side of it. And as an introvert, knowing that I can hit delete or end at any time, that makes me feel really empowered. So when Facebook Live rolled out, I started doing that on my Facebook page regularly and my Facebook page now has 360,000 followers and I'm still live on it like twice a week because that helps. Facebook has said they want you to go live. And so if if you're on the other side of this podcast right now listening and you've got a business, like the best thing you can do is go live on your Facebook page for it to grow. And one more thing, There are more people on social media in the last couple of weeks than ever, ever before. And let me tell you something. People are craving relationships so much and they're craving eye contact. If you can go live on Facebook or you can do Instagram stories and share your face, people will sit and they'll listen to whatever you have to say because people are really lonely and they're craving that human connection. So for every single business owner, the best thing you could do in your business right now is to be live on Facebook. And if that scares you do Instagram stories because people are just craving human connection. They don't want another post. They actually want a person.
0: I love this conversation, but before we keep going, let's just thank our sponsor. I used to think it was impossible to get my kids to get off their screens and do something that's good for their brain. But then I found out about KiwiCo. It's a science and art subscription box for kids tested by kids, and it's more fun than any game they can play. Your child can get super cool hands-on science and art projects delivered to their door every month. And what kid doesn't want to get that kind of mail? This is the perfect way to encourage kids to be innovators and creative thinkers. They won't believe what they can build and accomplish with KiwiCo. Plus, there's no commitments. You can pause or cancel at any time. I love that there are different. different crates for kids of all ages. So all my girls get to play with their own kits and they've been loving that. One of them got this rainbow kit, so she got to make her own little rainbow bag with these cute little cutouts, and it's just so cute. And then she like took this little cotton thing and made a rainbow, and there were all the colors of the rainbow she got to paste on it. My other daughter got a rocket kit, and my oldest got this Atlas crate, which includes a build-your-own-adventure book. I'm really amazed that they can have this much fun learning, and it's awesome to see how confident they become when they make their own creations. Co is redefining play with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills. There's something for every kid or kid at heart at KiwiCo. Get your first month free on select crates at KiwiCo.com slash dream job. That's K-I-W-I-C-O.com slash dream job. It's interesting. You've been talking so much about Facebook because I think a lot of people think that it's all Instagram. And what is your thought on that?
1: It's, well, the data don't lie and the data still shows Facebook is still the giant. And what's interesting is people will be like, Oh, Facebook is... Oh, what does my daughter call me? Oh, I'm a boomer. Okay, boomer. You know, she thinks that Facebook is like the, the dinosaur for us middle aged people. But the numbers still show Facebook, 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 even though everybody wants to shift. Um, and so Let me- what I always tell people do whatever social media you love the most, do whichever one you would do if Facebook was down. But then also do Facebook, because you just still can't like, argue with the fact that the numbers yeah. all still say Facebook's the giant.
0: When we're talking about Facebook, let's um, go a little bit more granular. What do you think about Facebook groups versus Facebook pages and which one do you like better?
1: Okay, so here's what happened a couple years ago. Facebook rolled out groups and everybody was like, yes, finally, I can do a post and everybody in the group will see them. And Facebook got wise and they're like, let's go ahead and put the algorithm into the groups as well. So right now, like I have a group um, for my Fear is Not the Boss of book for launching a fraction of the people see the posts that I do in that group. So groups have become no different than the page. And so I am all about a group. If it's a paid group and you're not supposed to actually like charge for somebody to be in a Facebook group, but like my coaching group is $47 a month. We have almost 2000 women in that group. And so um, we have like a library of content outside of Facebook, you know, how to get your first thousand followers, how to get great Instagram stories, how to start a YouTube page, all of that. So that all sits off of Facebook. And then all the community is in the Facebook group, but they're paying for that community. And so what I find is that people start the group because they're thinking everybody in the group will see it and they don't. And so then there's like some confusion over, well, what do I post on my page? And what do I post in the group? And that feels confusing. And if you ever have any hope of working with like a brand, like one of the ways, I teach women how to monetize is by doing like sponsored content. So Hobby Lobby used to pay me to walk into their stores and do a live video. They paid me for years to do that. Pure Cute. ones paid me to do that. Furniture stores around Kansas city pay me how to do that. I love that. I love getting to walk in with my phone and video things and taking a paycheck home. If that's something you would ever want to do, nobody ever cares about how many people you have a group they want to know how many people are on your page. So I'm always telling people, build your page, build your page, build your page.
0: Awesome. Thank you for that. That is my
1: final answer on that. (laughs) That's it.
0: So we started to now move into the monetization part. And the first place where you went is about sponsorship, sponsors, post, being able to go and highlight something someone else is doing in their store or whatever that looks like for you. Now for people who are listening, Yep. Can you do that if you have a micro following, but it's it's yeah. engaged for like forty one hundred people? At what point can you do that? What do you teach people in terms of that level of monetization?
1: So there's an interesting website that I'll tell your people they can go look at just as kind of a launching pad. Go to Social Bluebook. Dot com. Have You ever heard of that? Mm-hmm. So Social Blue Book, basically they're going to say, can we have access to your Facebook page and your Instagram and however many people you know follow your website analytics or whatever. And you're going to do a big gulp because it feels weird to give a third party access to something. They can't change anything, but basically they're trying to pull the analytics of how many followers do you have and how engaged are they? And based on that, it will tell you what you can charge for, for an Instagram post, what you can charge for a Facebook post. I tell people it also applies for a Facebook live, but that's a really good launching like a starting point, because most people that come to me are like, first of all, can I even charge? And second of all, what would I charge? And so what a lot of big brands are finding is that like when they have a movie star post about their perfume, it feels different than an influencer who they call her a micro influencer, who's got an incredibly engaged following of 10,000 people who hang on her every word versus the Hollywood star who, you know, has groupies, but they're they're like, of course she's going to post about perfume because she just posted about, you know, Spanx yesterday. And what I tell people is this, Kathy, think of like one listener, like what does she do for a living? She does like hand lettering. Okay. So here's the thing. Um, I just had somebody send me some hand lettering for real. We just had a conference. It was a virtual experience, but she gave everybody, we had over like 400 attendees and, but she sent these hand lettering, um, her name's Christy Darity, books and they're like coloring books. And so What she was doing was basically paying to get her product in front of people. But then also, somebody that does like um, the actual markers, they could pay her to use her markers. Does that make sense? So, like, it'd be smart of her to reach out to people who have an audience like me, full of creatives, you full of creatives, and she could pay us to just like show her hand lettering book on our Instagram stories or on our Facebook. And then, but she can also, so she could pay us, but she could also be the one that's like, hey, here's my book and I want you to buy it. But I also want you to go to Amazon and get these particular brushes and she could be an affiliate for them those, or she could have a brush company reach out to her and she could, you know, for a fee, because we all have families to feed is that's the bottom line. We all have families to feed. Nobody on this side of heaven works for free, except for creative people. I've said this a million times. It makes me so upset. And cause I just want to shake every woman and be like, you know what? Your platform is valuable. You've built those 1400 people. You've built those 4,000 people. You've got years of knowledge in that hand lettering. Like don't give it away for free. Put people into a hand lettering group with you. Um, if you're going to talk about what markers to use with your hand lettering, get paid for it. Like do a course on hand lettering. Everybody's stuck at home right now. I'm dying for things for my you know kids to do that's not on a, an iPad. So there's so many ways you can monetize that and from both sides. Like ask people to promote you, sponsor other people to, to show off your product, but then also get sponsorships. Awesome. Okay.
0: Now that is great. And that is cool because no one has really talked to us about that. So let me just ask one more question. Yep. Let's say you're like, this sounds cool. I go to social blue book and I mm-hmm. check it out and yeah. I get a sense, all right, I can charge this much or whatever right. it is. What's that next step? Do you reach out to brands and say, Hey, you this do. is what I want to do. And what, yeah. what does that look like?
1: So you're going to have to get used to hearing crickets or hearing a no. And especially right now in the middle of coronavirus, well, everybody's, you know, they're, we're distracted. But when you reach out to a brand, I want you to just keep it so simple, keep it brief yeah. and brilliant. So the email needs to be, um, essentially, position in a way of how you can help someone else. And the person that's on the other end of your email, they are busy. Keep that in mind. So they don't have time to go like, look at your account and, you know, figure out what post you're talking about to see what you could actually do with their product. You know what I mean? So give them like three reasons why they should work With you. Give them three reasons why their audience and your audience are such a good match together. Show off your biggest number. So if you kick butt at Facebook, tell them your reach last month was, you know, yada, yada, yada. But if Instagram's your jam, tell them, you know, last month I got a reach of 50,000 people on one poster figure out what it is that you can brag about the most and brag like crazy in that email. And then if you haven't heard back after a couple of days, send another email, never send an email on a Monday or a Friday, by the way, Mondays, everybody's digging out of their inbox. Fridays, everybody's already thinking about going to the lake when we're eventually out of quarantine. So send an email on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, send it either at 10 in the morning or two in the afternoon, because if you send it at eight in the morning, people are getting into their inbox and they're like, delete, 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 delete. <laughs> and if they just came back from lunch, same thing delete, delete, delete. So send it after they've had time to clear out their inbox and then, you know, wrap their head around their day. And hopefully then they'll get a ping of an email from, you know, a beautiful girl named Kathy who wants to work with them. And they'll actually take the time to read it and not just delete it.
0: Thank you so much for being so specific. When you were reaching out, do you reach out to somebody in an Instagram DM? Or are you sending an email to a chief marketing officer? Like who the heck do I you do reach out Instagram to?
1: Instagram DMs all the time. I prefer to start there, but it depends on how good people are with working on their DMs or working in their DMs. Like I was telling the women I coached the other day, the number one thing you could do for your business right now is probably make sure you are in your DMs every day responding to people. Like don't be a jerk. This is no time to be ignoring people because people are going to keep your business afloat right now. So hopefully other brands are realizing the same thing that they better be checking their DMs. Um, But so reach out there first. But if you get crickets, then you could go to the Twitters um, because people that work work for brands. They really are still on Twitter, but do that. Otherwise go to their website and go to the contact us and send an email. Amazing. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay. Now,
0: other than that awesome whole notion of sponsored posts, what else do you teach in terms of monetizing? Do you teach people how to create memberships? Cause you have yeah. one yeah. or are there other things that you think are like the pillars of how to monetize your following once you have it?
1: So I teach women seven different ways of making money online. So here's what you can do. You can sell your product in the online space. So your headbands, your cupcakes, your whatever. You can also sell a course on how to make the headbands, how to make the cupcakes, how to make the jewelry. You can do things like the DIY videos that I used to do. Um, Those are all called, by the way, information products. You can do eBooks, but I think people want video more than they want an eBook right now. So, but that's definitely a different way. Um, You can do sponsored content like we were just talking. If you have a website or a blog, you can make ad revenue. And so like there's one girl I coach who she makes over $10,000 a month with having ads on her blog. That's a huge chunk of change to just have money magically show up in your bank account And the reason she's able to get that sort of traffic over to her website is because I teach people how to do a really good Pinterest account and how to send people from Pinterest in particular back to your website. So ad revenue is actually a legit thing. Affiliate marketing is huge. So every time like we open up my course, we open up my paid group, I pay people to recommend my stuff. Like you can recommend the book that I just came out with on Amazon right now, if you're an Amazon affiliate and get paid to recommend it. Like Some people, they freak out, Kathy, because they don't have an actual product to sell, but just promote somebody else's product. It's so much easier that way.
0: You hit it all. So let's just talk about one other one of those, because we talked a little bit about the sponsored content. Which is your second favorite one or the, the second one for you that's been the biggest win?
1: Well, my favorite by the long shot is the membership group they're my favorite. So back when I was a painter, I had like 400 women in this paint group. It was called paint finish of the month. And it was a paid group. It was $27 a month for them to be in there and learn two different ways to paint cabinets or furniture every month. And I loved it. I just had to show up twice a month and show them how to do two new paint finishes, bada boom, bada bing. And that was great until it wasn't anymore because I was, God was like pivoting me out of being a painter and really into more of the thought leader and influencer space. And so I'm in this conference and somebody on stage said, you know, you don't always have to be Beyonce. Sometimes you can just be Beyonce's manager. And I'm like, Whoa, whoa, whoa what, what? And, and I was like, wait a second. And what he was basically saying was you can have something like a paid group where you don't have to be the star. You can just manage a whole bunch of other stars. And I was like, wait a second, because I was getting really tired of my painting group. And then I was all excited because I realized, what do I actually know? I know 20 painters off the top of my head who do what I do, who are super talented, who have great Instagrams and Facebook accounts. And I could just have them come into the group and teach the painting finishes for me. And then I'll just manage it. It's like I'm inviting them into my playground. And then I'm just, I'm giving everybody a place to play with paint, but then I'm just managing and not having to do that. And I did that for two years. So I had the painting group for four years total, two years, I was the one teaching all the painting techniques. And for the last two years, I just let other people teach. And I just enjoyed that (laughs) Um, and monetizing that. (laughs)
0: I love that so much. It's, like, just curate the thing. You know, yes. I, I've said that a lot. Like, you don't yes. have to be the expert. You could just be super interested yes. in putting it all together. I it's awesome. That. There's so many good examples of what you're saying.
1: There is even love the podcasting world because think about how like do you do the majority of your podcasts are interviews, aren't they? Yes. And so the majority of mine are not. And isn't it funny? Like you can do it differently. Like on my podcast, I'm the one that kind of, I come up with the content. You know, I mean, I've got a girl that works with me full time on it, obviously, but I'm the one that does the talking and feels like, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And then, but there's other people that their podcast is just pulling in guests and just curating guests. I'm like, they're, we need both and in this world. And so I love that. I so love I had, it too. I had that painting group for years. And then um, right now I have my Creators Inner Circle, which is for women who are trying to grow their social media following and grow their business online. And you know what's really cool about a paid group is it doesn't matter if you have 20, 200 or 2000 people, the amount of work on you is basically the same in terms of delivering content other than just the billing piece. And what I love about it is as a super responsible person, I know kind of what to expect every month, unless, you know, a ton of people were to quit in terms of revenue. And that feels really good for me. So I love the membership model because it allows me to basically have a consistent idea of what our income is going to be. That's my favorite uh, paid groups, uh, baby.
0: I can't believe how much you, you give away for free. I can't imagine what it's like to be in your group. Thank you. This is awesome. I want to dig a little bit deeper. Your book, fear is not the boss of you, how to get out of your head and live the life you were made for. It's amazing that it came out right right now because it's about getting unstuck and moving past overwhelm and doing things in spite of fear. And there's several points that I want to cover, but before we do that, What was like the one pressing thing on your heart that you were thinking, what do I want people to walk away with? Let's just start with that first.
1: Okay. So four years ago, I realized, gosh, I've been blogging for like eight years on home decorating and painting projects and stuff. And I really wanted to have a book and I didn't know why I wanted to have a book, but even as a little girl, I can remember wanting to write children's books when I grew up and this is not a children's book, but I, I love to write, I love to read. And so I knew I wanted a book. So four years ago, I thought somebody told me I could take all of my blog posts and put them over into a book and it would do great. And people would actually buy it. And so I literally spent like a year of my life copying and pasting from WordPress over into word, my book, which nobody of course ever bought. Nobody ever heard of. It didn't do anything. It was actually going to be called hot mess. Not your typical DIY book. Like I had the cover plan and everything. So I've known that I wanted to write a book for a while. And when I got a book agent, when I had somebody approach me a couple of years ago, she's like, do you still want to do a DIY book? And I'm like, I don't. God's really shifted me out of that space. And she's like, okay, so do you want to do a business book? And I said, you know what? I don't feel like I'm supposed to do a business book either. And she's like, okay, so then we really got to flesh out what kind of a book do you want to do? What, and so she asked me basically that question. Like, what do you want to leave the world with? What do you feel like you know that can be your gift to people? And when we really kept drilling down, what is it that you know and that you want to leave people with? And I feel like what I do best, whether women are in business, or whether they're not in business, but I feel like I have the gift of exhortation, which basically just means I'm a professional cheerleader. And I love just cheering women on for whatever their life is supposed to look like. I just want to cheerlead women into doing the thing that they feel like on this side of heaven they're supposed to be doing. And so then if you back that up one step, what prevents most women from doing on this side of heaven? The thing that they feel like they're supposed to be doing, it always comes back to fear. And so I felt like what I really help women do most is... Go, go, go in spite of fear. That's what I actually do the best. So that's how the topic of the book got fleshed out. And that's how we landed where we did. And it's
0: the best title ever. And I have a three-year-old. I
1: fight for that.
0: Thank you. Fear is not the boss of you. I know. I, I want to like
1: snap my fingers every time I say I it. I
0: just love it. In the book, there's a few things I want to pull out. One, identify how and where you were stuck. Yep. Let's talk about how the heck we can identify it. And then you basically say the same thing, the next one, which is determine what's holding you back. Yeah, Talk to me about this whole thing.
1: You know, since I do get to coach so many women every month, I kind of get like a front row seat into a lot of minds and a lot of lives. And there's so many women that are stuck. Well, there's several reasons. They're stuck because they think that they're stuck and they're really not. Like I use this story in the book and I'll just tell the condensed version here, but did you know? That when elephants are born and they're going to be not in the wild, but in captivity, like they tie elephants with a rope or a string or something around their ankle, and then tie it to like a tree. And as the elephant grows and gets huge, you would think that they would have to use a bigger chain, a bigger rope, a bigger, whatever, but they actually don't. As an elephant grows, they can actually use a smaller like twig and a little piece of twine around an elephant's ankle. It's really strange. And it's basically, it comes down to because the elephant still thinks it's stuck, even if it's not because it feels like it's still in captivity. And so I use that as an illustration in the book about how a lot of women Powerful. Think that they are stuck. It is powerful, isn't it? A lot of women think that they're stuck, but they're literally like so close to just like breaking their leg away from that thing that it takes action. It takes some motion. And I talked to a lot in the book about how sometimes we're stuck because it's things that we've done to kind of get ourselves in that position. We've gotten ourselves into a spot where we feel optionless, we don't really know what to do, so we do nothing, which, by the way, is doing something. And I use the example of when my thank husband, you for that. Yeah, when my husband said, "Jen, would you marry me?" and I had said nothing. By default, my answer, he would know, would have been no. You know what I mean? So when you are stuck and you're doing nothing, you are by default doing something. And so I think women need to really understand that. And so sometimes we're stuck because it's our own fault, but sometimes we're stuck because we sit and watch everybody else on social media all day. And there's a lot of times we're watching people that make us feel worse about ourselves and better. So I talk about that. And then I also talk about how a lot of times we're stuck because of our upbringing. And perhaps we were raised by stuck people or we just hang out with stuck people now. And a lot of times when you try to get unstuck, Even people who love you and really are rooting for you, they will also try to kind of hold you by the ankle and hold you back sometimes because when you start getting unstuck, it really brings conviction to their own life and makes them feel like a jack wagon. And good grief, now I got to stink and do something. And it was so good when we just stayed here stuck together. And now she's trying to change and move, and it's going to change the relationship. And, you know, this shows up at Thanksgiving dinner when you're. Aunt Laura says, you know, so heard you're going back to school. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Those really passive aggressive. Oh, you're too good for us. Now you've got that little business going. I think sometimes we're raised by stuck people or we just were in an environment with stuck people. And sometimes we're married to stuck people. Thank God I'm not, but it keeps us stuck also. And I think it's really important. The first step, just like, you know, somebody starting AA, the first step is just recognizing like, where why am I stuck? How did I actually get here? Because then I think that, From there, you can make some changes.
0: Okay. Now, I want to kind of go to one last juicy question, which I think brings up everyone's stuff. So it'll be a perfect thing to really hit on. It's one thing for people to listen to things like this, to take Mm -hmm. your membership, to get all the information they need, and to build things. But when it comes time to put the offer out, Mm -hmm. to charge, to actually make it into a business you know what? I don't know. You know what? I'm not sure. You know what? I need more classes. You know what? I you know, I'm not, I can't, I that. Yeah. this whole idea of like, am I worthy? Am I being a jerk for having money? All of this limiting belief around who I am and am I worthy? Mm-hmm. Yes. It prevents you from a taking action at all, which is a huge issue. Yep. But then if at the end of the day you're going to sabotage yourself anyway, because you don't think you're worth putting out an offer, yes. why would you take action? Yeah. So, Tell me about making money and tell me about charging for your worth and how we can raise our prices, put out offers and be good people. At the same time,
1: yeah. So a couple of years ago, God really convicted me about I was because I was telling women all the time, "You've got to charge what you're worth. You got to charge what you're worth." And I actually, coming from a position of faith, God really convicted me and said, "Jen, it's actually charge what their product is worth or what their service is worth because for some reason our worth is tied into the sales." And what happens is a precious woman would come into my group and she would have you know a headband company, and I would tell her, "Charge what you're worth." And so she'd put her headbands up there for twenty five dollars, but the truth is she's never sold anything for $25 before. And she doesn't have any, you know, reviews on her website yet. And she doesn't have a bunch of clients lined up and she's trying to charge what somebody that's been in it 10 years is, and she's not making any sales. And then she's internalizing that thinking, gosh, I knew I wasn't worth anything that went nowhere. And so I've really changed my wording on that to Instead of charge what you're worth, I want you to charge what your service is worth or what your product is worth. And what I find about women, gosh, I love women so much, Kathy, but Women are the worst at charging and creative women are the worst, 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 worst at charging and women of faith who are creatives, they it's are the worst, it. worst, worst. I'm like, ugh, oh, because they feel all this weird guilt stuff. And a lot of women will come into my coaching and they'll say, I can't decide on which business to even do. I like cupcakes and jewelry and coaching and exercise. And what do I do? And I so I, this is what I tell them. I think it's been so easy for you for years to say, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do because that's a way of self-protecting versus just saying, you know what? I'm going to pick one. I'm going to start with health and wellness and I'm going to see what happens because when you pick it, then you all of a sudden it's like more real and now you've actually got to kind of follow three. And so I also tell women this. So number one, pick something. Number two, name it because when you name something, suddenly it's realer. And when it's realer to you, it also becomes realer to, by the way, your aunt Linda, who was just rude to you at Thanksgiving. And so name it, like pick one thing, name it, and then put it out there. And please God, don't put it out there for free because in your head, you're thinking, oh, you know, I don't know what will other people think? Well, first of all, if you don't believe enough in your own product to charge for it, how do you expect anybody else to? And you're saying to yourself, I know, but It's my gift and I feel like I need to give it away. But you also have a family that needs to eat. And so you've got to get over the fact that you think that money is bad. Money in and of itself is not bad. How do you think the lights stay on in the church, in the old Navy building? How do you actually think that like the world goes around, people have to have money. Your family needs money in order for you to stay living where you are and to stay with food on the table. And I have this entire podcast. I think it might be episode 71. It's called um, Women Hold the Keys. And I tell the story about how it's a call to women saying, look, A lot of your situations and your families right now are tight and you're living without a lot of margin and your husband's working two and three jobs trying to make ends meet. And I too, I remember those days when we had $30,000 maxed out on a credit card and I would go to the grocery store and pray that the card wasn't maxed out. Oh, I feel it in my stomach. Oh, it's a bad feeling. It's a bad, bad feeling, but here's what I know to be true. I was looking at my husband thinking, how is he going to save the day? How is he gonna get us out of this tight, tight spot? How is my husband gonna be the one to make more money? And the truth is God had given me gifts and me talents too. And yes, I felt like I was supposed to be staying home and raising those babies, but they'd had nap times and they went to bed at eight o'clock at night, and I was still on my phone anyway. Why not be building a business? And so I think so many women are looking for their spouse to save the day. And the truth is you have talents too. Put a stinking price tag on it. Put it out in the world and see what the world says. And the truth is every time I make more money, I can hire more people that come to work for Team Allwood. Every time I make more money, I can do something like take my parents to Mexico for the first time. Every time I make more money, then I can do something like we're in the process of adopting a little girl, which by the way, takes cash. It all takes cash, and Kathy, it makes me just literally delirious when I talk to women. I'm so passionate about this, and I'm like, stop feeling bad about your desire to make money, and also, please start charging for what you're doing because your family needs you. Your community needs for you to make money. This economy needs some money going around right now, so figure out what it is that you're going to start with. So few things on the side of heaven are permanent. If you like headbands and baking and blogging and you want to be an influencer with sneakers and health and wellness, like pick one pick one and start there. You can shift next year. Nobody's holding you to that forever and ever and ever. You can shift, but you've got to start somewhere making money. And when you start making a little bit, it gives you like this weird courage, like, okay, a couple people actually bought that. And it's, it feels really good to know that you're validated with somebody buying what you've got. And if I can just say one more thing about this and then I'll quit talking, but I could talk on this for like all day. I love it. When it comes to making money in a business, you have to figure out like there's, there's very little you can control. Um, And it's basically, are you selling the right thing to the right people at the right time and for the right price? There's four things. Is it the right thing? So if you're selling underwater basket weaving, nobody buys that. So like, forget it. (laughs) Is it to the right people? If your audience is all, you know, 40 plus women and you're selling babies headbands, you've got the wrong audience. So is it the right thing um, to the right people? Is it at the right time? If you make Christmas ornaments and you're trying to sell them in June, that's a hard sale. Timing's wrong. And is it the right price? By the way, that doesn't mean your price needs to be low. Psychologically, when people's prices are too low, I automatically think that that jumpsuit that I bought this morning for 12 bucks probably is gonna be not nearly as good in quality as the one that Nordstrom's is selling for $100. So there's something that happens in your brain. Quit undervaluing the thing. Put a price tag on it. Make some money for your family. To the glory of God, amen. There, I did awesome. it all. Tell I just us where we can it. find you
0: and find your <laughs> podcast and find your
1: book. Yes. Okay. So I have a podcast called the Jennifer Allwood show. Go listen. I would appreciate that. I'd love that. You can find me at Jennifer Allwood in all the places. Um, if you're going to buy the book, go to Amazon or you can get it on audible. You can get it at Barnes and Noble. The book is on walmart.com and target.com. And so, yeah, you can get it in all the places. Just Google my name and you should be able to find everything.
0: You're amazing. And you guys, if if you feel like you're listening and you, you loved something that she's sharing and you felt like, ah, oh, this was great. I would say go take a screenshot of this, tag her, tag myself, uh, put it up online, and we will reshare, get into our DMs. I'm always happy to talk to you, and I'm sure Jennifer is as well. But you are a delight. This was so much fun, and I have a page of notes. So thank you for being just so awesome.
1: Ditto. I need to get out to California so we can meet each other in real life. That would be great. Yeah,
0: you're adorable. Thank you. Appreciate you. Jennifer so cool. All right, here are the takeaways. Number one, crisis will often catapult you into your calling. Number two, show up every day. Number three, use live video. There are more people on social media than ever before craving relationships and eye contact. People don't want posts. They want a person. Number four, your platform is valuable. Your community and knowledge is valuable. Get paid for it. Nobody should work for free. Number five, when you do outreach, keep it simple, keep it brief, and keep it brilliant. Position your message in a way that shows how you can help someone else. Number six, charge what your service or product is worth. Number seven, pick something, name it, and put it out there. You have talent too, so put a price tag on it. Thank you guys so much for listening. I can't tell you what it means to me that you're here. I know that there's so much going on and I just want you to know that I really feel so much gratitude that you support the show, that you listen to the show. And if you feel like it's making a difference, please let people know about it. Maybe this will be a little bit of a speck of of brightness in their life right now. I Um, I love you guys. I'll leave you with a song of mine and I'll talk to you Thursday. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com.
3: Maybe I lost some